Welcome to Anecdotal Anatomy, the weekly podcast that explores the nooks and crannies of living in a body. Sometimes it's the two of us having a casual conversation through the filter of that day's topic, and other times we have special guests who add their voices to the chat. We are yoga educators and body workers with decades of experience as practitioners and teachers. It is with reverence and joy that we choose to take these conversations off the mat and into the microphone. Our aim is to understand the human experience through the stories our bodies hold and the stories they tell. Since having a body is the one thing we all have in common, it seems like a good place to start. We are your hosts. I am Teresa Tobin Macy. And I'm Sherry Sadoff Hank. Join us on this journey of discovery as we sleuth our way to the connections of our individual tales to the collective experience of being alive. Today we're talking about playful practices. And I think that the stories that will come up today, and we haven't re- we don't rehearse the stories, may give a different light on practice. You know, we can sit and practice every day those ritualized things that we choose. But then when we kind of add in those other layers, it not only brings meaning, but it also may give us longevity. <laughs> it gives us that purpose, that reason to keep showing up on the cushion, the mat, you know, out of the bed every morning. You had mentioned, I think it was in the last episode, maybe two ago, I don't remember, that everything has a story, that inanimate objects have a story. I've really been thinking an awful lot about that. I've moved again. (laughs) If you've been around for a while, you know I'm home. Yes, I am home. But I also am really committed to keeping our landfills clean and not throwing away things that can be easily repurposed. So much of the furniture, the furnishings that I have here in my new place are from marketplace or gifted from friends and family. All of my plants have a story of where I've gotten them. But in each time that I went to pick up a piece of furniture, the owner that I was receiving that furniture from told me a story about it. So I can go around my home and tell stories about where each piece of furniture, where each plant originated, where it came from, because everybody had a story. I have a story about a young lady's grandmother and how much she loved her coffee and end table and how the kids loved to play there, but Grandma would never let them put their glasses down (laughs) without a coaster. (laughs) So now every time I put a glass on that table, I have to put a coaster on it. (laughs) And then you have to play because, you know, they were playing when they were putting their drinks down. Exactly. (laughs) That ties it in a little bit today. (laughs) Yes, that we get to play and, you know. And be mindful. mindful. Be mindful. Yeah. And the relationship with Grandma, which I'll get to later. (laughs) Oh, sweet. Sweet, yeah. sweet. So, playing. Whew, what a great subject for the day. I'm so excited that I'm kind of have the ants in my pants and playing <laughs> over here. That's a very childish thing to say. You know, and you have said it before. If you want to feel young, act like a child. I, and that's something I keep thinking about because, yes, 
I remember when I was in college and then in my early 20s, I used to go around and the, my little catchphrase was always, yay play, yay play. My dad started echoing it back to me and I had a friend who worked at Miramax at the time. And Michael, if you're listening, I think I'm getting the story right. <laughs> but he said he was at a table meeting for something and you know, they're this serious business there. And at one point he just blurted out, yay, play. And there was some kind of reaction that, you know, whatever. But so yay, play does not have to exist only within the realm of the young. Yeah, you mentioned that I said, you know, play like a child. That actually came from Dr. Schleip in, in my fascial fitness training. As part of the training, yes, we did yoga. We did all different types of movement activities. And somebody asked him what was the best one. And his answer was, they're all good. They all have different ways, different way of movement, different way of play, have different effects on the body. But he was the one who first said to me, if you want to have the body of a child, play like a child. And so it stuck with me for years. But I've also expanded it in my own thoughts to not only play like a child, but give yourself permission to think like a child, to have an imagination, to, you know, just be playful in your mindful energy so that, yes, it is a body thing, play like a child, and your body will feel like a child's body. What you say is so true about the mindset of play. You know, a few years ago, I had taught a laughing yoga, laughter yoga session at the Prancing Peacock in Langhorne. And, you know, I had to do some research on it. I was never trained in laughter yoga, but it is a specific thing to do. And in the world of fake it till you make it, you know, there was like, ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. Like we had to kind of do these things that if we weren't, you know, we didn't walk into the room ready to start laughing. You know, there was no joke set up or anything. But so we started with the ha, ha, ho, ho, ho. Before we knew it, now I'm kind of a clown by nature. You know, I've sort of, one of my archetypes is jester. So when I have, when I do something like that, I'm putting my whole self out there. So I'm running around like a fool, which I, which I don't think of as a bad thing or a negative in any way. I'm running around, you know, flailing my arms and ha 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 ha. By the end of the session, every single person in that room's abdomen was aching from the laughter that became organic after these very deliberate, we chose to do the sounds and then the laughter became an organic experience. So when you're walking into something and you're not in the mindset of childish play, but you start playing, at some point that mindset begins. It's like the koshas. The physical body started it or the vocal cord started it. And then the mind and the spirit kind of follows. That was like, again, going back to things we've done in the past, gish, when we were doing the <laughs> gish challenge and we were again at the prancing peacock, Everybody laid down on the floor and put their head on their neighbor's stomach and then started laughing. And so there was the laughter that we each individually had, but the vibration that like went through that circle of feeling people's abdomen. You, you mentioned their abdomens were aching <laughs> with your head on the belly. Hey, this is a good playful practice. Maybe you can do it with your children or your siblings or your partners or your friends to lay down on the floor in your living room, put your head on the family member's belly and start laughing and make this big circle and see, gosh, the energy in that space, I'm going to use your favorite word, was palpable. <laughs> we are palpating the air around us. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's, for those of you who don't know, Gish used to be called Gish Whiz, 
is the greatest international scavenger hunt and previously the world has ever seen. And it's done by Misha Collins, who is on Supernatural. He played Castiel, the angel, but he also has this organization, Gishwiz, which also raises money and consciousness for a lot of really wonderful things. And so one of the scavenger pieces was to make the longest chain like that on the ground. Now, for I used to do it at camp, and, and when I was teaching the find your voice training at, for the teacher training, uh, yoga teacher training, I would always end it with that particular thing because I wanted it to be playful, to end a training with a playful exercise. And I called it, since we were lying on the ground, I called it Shavasana. <laughs> Instead of Shavasana, Shavasana. And so, and you always, you know, if you're going to do this, make sure you have consent. Like I would say, if this is uncomfortable for you, you can either be the first person or the final person. If you don't want someone lying on your belly, be the, the final person in the chain, or you don't have to participate at all. But there is an organic energy that begins to bubble up when you're just lying there. And oftentimes we don't even need the instruction to laugh because once you get down there, it just begins. It happens. It's a chain reaction. And pretty cool to to experience and to witness yeah i like that you said you know ask permission <laughs> yeah okay. to to get in there you know because i am a touch professional so the idea that we ask uh, to begin with is always an amazing point huh <sighs> but play yay play yay play you said that to me three or four weeks ago and i have to say since you said the word yay play i must have written them down 10 or 15 times in different sets of notes and just ways to kind of transform my, my thoughts. I can be a little heady and I can be a little bit too serious at times. So you might call yourself the jester. I'm trying to embody the, gest <laughs> the jester. And that is, that's a stretch for me. And I think that's why I'm so excited that play is going to be a part of not only this discussion, but camp. because. Learning to play or remembering how I played is high on my list of priorities right now. See that? I even put play in the same sentence as priority. Well, I love that. And, you know, yay play can become a mantra. Like every little cell in my body is happy. You know, yay play. So if you are out there listening and playful, not even just the act of playing, but a playful energy, you know, you can be doing something serious and still have a sense of levity and playfulness about it. And so if that's you, like maybe just like Teresa did, write down in your notebooks or when you're doodling, write down yay play as your homework. Every once in a while, just stand where you are and say yay play and then sit down and go back to business as usual. <laughs> but it won't be usual. It won't be usual. Usually. <laughs> yeah, I have to do, you told me that was an acting exercise, right? And that's. That's playful too. Remember when you were a kid and you would just be like and trying to make all kinds of crazy sounds with your yes, yes. with your mouth. Yes. Oh. oh, that and we were just saying that. Now this was not planned, but when I was talking about that and how we would make those funny sounds with our mouth, I had this vision in my head of those red lips with the white teeth that you got at around like Halloween time. They were all over the place. I don't know why that vision popped through, but the waxy one wax. you could then chew. Yes, yes. And no, everybody would be walking around with them and making funny faces. <laughs> I think about that now and it kind of grosses me out, but I loved them so much then. And the ones that sometimes came with, with like liquid, 
sugar water inside that you could bite it to and then you could chew the wax with the the sugary flavor and god what did we do to ourselves <laughs> or you know those taffies i don't know if you remember them they were like rectangle shaped taffies and we would buy them at the store and then we would go home and while they were still packaged bang them on the sidewalk to break them into little pieces <laughs> so that you could eat it wow all this stuff is just like now that we started talking, it's it's all coming back completely unplanned. So while we're talking, did you ahead. ever freeze your Charleston shoes? I did. Oh my gosh! Well, oh. we would do family movie nights. Sometimes we would have our Charleston shoes in the freezer, and then it would take us the entire movie to finish them because you could break your teeth otherwise. <laughs> I had an aunt who lived in Brooklyn and moved to Colorado when we were a child, and they couldn't get Charleston shoes there, so. That and Drake's cakes, she couldn't get them. So we would have, we would send her care packages with <laughs> devil dogs, <laughs> ring dings, and Charleston shoes. <laughs> Cousins, if you're listening, <laughs> so you know who you are. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I, it's you, people know you're a body worker. People who've been listening probably know I started out in acting. And this idea, like acting for me at that time, when I look back, you know, again, we've talked about how much am I projecting from my present state on what I think I thought then. But looking back, I can kind of see the trajectory. If yay play was my mantra in, you know, my late teens and early 20s, maybe going into acting, which was a very playful experience, hard work, it definitely, it's not an easy path. People might think, oh, acting, schmacting, like it's easy. All you have to do is, uh. it's very, very effortful and requires an enormous amount of presence and mindfulness, which so many of the seeds were planted back in those days that I can see having them break through the earth and grow into what today is. But then like this idea of acting, you know, productions are called plays. You know, you put a stage play together, you're up on the stage, you're in a moment, you have to be present. You know, fast forward, I had asked one of my one of my yoga teachers, why are so many yoga teachers former actors? <laughs> you know, I, had, I can list off at least a dozen people I know personally who were actors and became yoga teachers. And so, you know, one of her, one of her responses was, you know, we have to be present. You know, there's a presence about being on stage, you know, being in the moment that sort of lends itself to this. And I want to add to that, that there's also a playfulness. There's a playfulness that we add to our practices. Like I remember in acting classes, one particularly at NYU, where we all had to stand in a circle and one person would stand in the middle and would have to look at each person in the eye and sing without expression. I want to dance with the dolly with a hole in her stocking. I don't remember the whole song, hole in her stocking, hole in her. I want to dance with the dolly. And then we had to go to the next person and sing. And, you know, oftentimes you're cracking up, but it was, you know, eye to eye, heart to heart, energy to energy. The idea was to commune with each person individually within this collective circle. So here I am, the individual in the center looking and communing with an individual and then moving to the next in this community. And, you know, all of these exercises that we used to do, centering exercises, even the mirror one, which many people might know, you have a partner, you're sitting across from them, you decide who starts. And like, so you might have your hands up and someone starts a motion and the other person is doing the same motion, mirroring you. And then at some point, the other person takes the lead 
without saying anything. And then it's like this perfect momentary communion with this one other person. In voice class at NYU, we did cobra pose and plow pose in a voice class. And this was to open up these energy channels so that we could sing or project or talk in these different ways. And so I'm looking at all of this crossover between acting training, being on the stage during the actual live production, and then fast forwarding to becoming a yoga teacher uh, as someone who did not necessarily resonate with the physical practice right away. You know, there was something familiar in it. There was something alluring, something magical. And perhaps I would even venture to say the same magical, you know, finger that was beckoning me toward acting was the same one that kept me on my mat and cushion all these years. And that was all rooted in play. Mm. Yeah. I like that you brought in like the practices and how your background brought you to things that you did in the mat, on the mat, and things you brought into your class. So one of the things I love, which I find really playful in my yoga classes, is a circle tree where everybody in the circle is doing tree pose. And so we would begin with just doing tree pose in a circle and having everybody feel their balance. And then the next time we would do it, everybody would go hand to hand and practice tree pose. And inevitably, people were la kind of laughing and joking because the swaying of the circle went completely around the circumference, but balance improved. People felt, even though everyone had this little bit of a sway, they were supported by the group, communing together. And it was easier in such an unusual way when you could feel everybody else's energy moving back and forth. And, you know, to complicate it just a little bit, not to complicate it, but to make it just a tiny bit more challenging and fun, once we got our balance in, we would close our eyes. Eyes, yeah. That's the only time I would ever instruct people to close eyes was in Community Tree because there was support there and, you know, people were likely not to fall. <laughs> <laughs> I did it a lot. I did, I did closing my eyes and closing our eyes in tree almost most classes, many classes, but we would all go around the wall and we would know where the wall was so that the wall was the support. And I did it again at this, for this idea of staying young and having the balance of, of our youth as we are aging, because my class wears all, you know, people in my age demographic, most everybody who came to my class were 40 or above. And sometimes there were, you know, 80, 85 year old women or men in my, my class as well. But I learned uh, along the way that sometimes we fall as we get older, not because we lose our balance, but because so much of balance is associated with sight and our sight begins to change. So our balance changes. So we would go along the wall, know where your wall was, get into tree pose, and then close your eyes, just hovering with a hand mm -hmm. a tiny bit away from the wall. So if you needed it for support, and I loved doing that. The other practice that I really loved in my classes was getting up and down off the floor without using your hands, right? To keep those muscles and the balance of, you know, descending and ascending from the floor. Remember when you were a kid, you just run into a room, cross your legs and boom, you were on the floor doing whatever game you were playing. 
Because you weren't thinking about it. It was just instinctive. You know, you were talking about the community tree and how playful it is as an exercise on its own because all these energies are coming together and where there's support and there's you're taking one foot off the ground. But the way that I would sort of add an extra bit of playfulness to community tree was when we were taking our knee back to center, we would always do one Singular sensation. <laughs> and so it was, it also, everyone always laughed, even if they had already done it with me before. There was always the sense of play that we were doing a kick line in a circle singing one singular sensation. And yeah. I'm going to have to look up the words. <laughs> singular sensation, every little step she takes. And then we would always go da 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 and do like a little wormy thing up and down. Yeah, one singular sensation, every move that she makes. But we never went that far. <laughs> a little shimmy in the middle. <laughs> Got a shimmy. Shimmy, shimmy, shimmy shakes are essential to the world of play and movement and moving it all through us. Yeah. In yoga classes, that was another thing, like just shaking out your hands. Remember like when you're kids and you're just like playing around and shaking and jumping we would do that a lot to really engage with this idea that our body has elasticity and recoil, right? If you start shaking and moving body parts, eventually their momentum moves themselves. So there's a little bit of fascia science in there, you know, the idea of having recoil and bounce that we can maintain when we are doing things like hopscotch and jumping rope or skipping instead of walking, we really talk to those parts of our body that want to be elastic, that want to have this recoiled energy to motivate us. And that's the story. That's the story that adds layers to the experience of the movement as a grown-up. As a kid, you know, we're, we, and even as grown-ups, we don't think about that. We don't think about coil and bounce and recoil and all of that. But because you mentioned that, now there might be an aspect, a layer of mindfulness that while we're moving, once we know something, it's hard not to know it unless you forget it, <laughs> which at this age, and unless I'm teaching it, I often forget it. But now when I move, I might actually have an image of, of Tigger from Winnie the Pooh bouncing, woo, 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 you know, uh, or, you know, whatever, the, his tail recoiling. And so it does, the story, even the story can be the science piece. It can. And if you have a cat and you watch your cat, it's really interesting because cats have this amazing ability to get from place to place. And, you know, at first I thought, oh, these cats can really jump and they can, but they don't really jump. They spring. And if you watch your cat, it recoils. It comes down into a small version of itself and collects all of the energy. They'll call it a preparatory counter move. It brings all of its energy in and like bends all of its joints and then it springs out and that's how it gets that length by using its energy with efficiency and if you want to see it if you go to youtube <laughs> and search for kangaroo in slow motion you'll see that kangaroos do the same thing they crouch down gather up all of their energy, and then release it into an expansive springiness. So, you know, our kids probably do the same thing. If we watch our children play around in slow motion, they just, uh, they land with such ease. 
I was just, we're getting a lot of our photos and videos transferred to MP3s and MP4s so that they're easily accessible through the computer and we can watch them on YouTube once they're loaded up. And uh, I've been watching them. A friend of mine is doing this work. It's his, that's what he does. And so I was just watching. I got back one of the thumb drives the other day and watching each one of my kids were so different when they were toddlers, how they moved through the world. And my youngest, she never crawled. She was a butt scooter. She would like scoot around on her butt and she was fast. And she always had this look on her face that was determination and joy all wrapped up in the same little smirk. And each one though, like, I, it's just amazing to watch them from this, from who they are now, you know, much older. And it, you can see the joy and the play, even in the tiniest things before they even knew what that was. It's almost like play is our natural state. And what we do over time is, you know, throw our crap over it and then forget because we're not practicing it. And we're not practicing the yay play, but we're also not infusing necessarily our ritualistic practices with a sense of play. And my feeling is once I started to do that, I show up more often because it's more fun. And I'm not saying that everything we do has to be fun. And let me tell you, sometimes I'm really fucking bored when I'm sitting there in my mindfulness meditation, but they don't negate each other. You know, there's a sense of when I approach my cushion that it's from a sense of play, even if the experience itself brings in other aspects, other elements of con contemplativeness or, you know, contemplative nature, it's still there's a, a, an undercurrent of play, uh, which brings me back. Because if it didn't, if there wasn't that piece, it would be much harder for me to maintain a sense of momentum. Can you maintain momentum or does momentum just naturally grow? Well, that's that a good question. Thing. Keep momentum growing, maintain the, the, the road of momentum, whatever that would be. But, you know, it's been 23 years that I've been doing these practices in a formal way. You know, like I suggested before that the acting training and so many other things incorporated these practices, but I never thought of them as practices with a capital P. Yeah, well, coming to your cushion with playfulness and curiosity and for me, kind of eases the frustration of a, of a chattery mind, right? When I can think of it more playfully and go, oh, Teresa, look at how much you are thinking today. <laughs> Rather than, ah, I can't get my brain to stop. You know, if we can come with that playfulness of, wow, I wonder what's going on that I am thinking so much. Let me go back to my breath and let that go away for a little bit. <laughs> but, you know. For me, I find that it, on the days that I can playfully and curiously come to meditation to observe, I don't leave, I don't feel frustrated if maybe it's one of those days that you're like, oh, this is so boring, or one of those days where the chatter just won't stop. Playfulness really helps to switch the self-talk from, oh, I can't believe you can't even do this, to, oh my gosh. Look at how curious I am today. Whole different attitude of how mindful speech to self can be fostered as well. Absolutely. And that mindset piece, it's, it's tough. And it's not, I mean, I, I won't speak for anyone else but myself that even within that, so if I can, if I'm not feeling the play and I can like bounce like Tigger, kind of like that deliberate ha ha ho ho ho, 
just do something in my physical body that reflects the energy of play, then at some point that playful energy becomes part. There's, there's a conversation that happens. And sometimes the play is dominant, but sometimes it fades into the background and it's just kind of like that operating system. But that only comes for me after years of practicing doing that. <laughs> so it's no longer always, sometimes it is, but a deliberate choice. It's part of my experience that, that I've been cultivating that this is something I enjoy doing, so I will do it. Not something I have to do, so I'm going to put it on my schedule and make sure I know it's good for me so that I'll do it. It's like the little pill box in the morning. I've got, you know, different meds I got to take for different things. And so I look at, I've got to take it. I know it's good for me. But if I can approach that with a sense, like my cardiologist said the other day, I like to to do things that can be reversed. So we're doing this for the acute situation and hopefully, you know, we'll be able to to back out of it. So there's all of these different ways to approach it. So I'm approaching even my my high blood pressure medication with a sense of playfulness, with like, this is a temporary situation. Everything is temporary, even if it feels like long and that longness can feel permanent. But that just means that it's a longer temporary thing. <laughs> <laughs> My mom used to say, and this too shall pass. That was one of her favorite things. And you talked about the playfulness and how you approach that you enjoy it. So you get to do it. And that was on a podcast, Stacy, Stacy Brass Russell, Passionate and Prosperous. She had a whole podcast about how we speak to ourselves and just taking that one phrase from I have to, to I get, I get to. to. Yeah. made a world of difference in just the energy behind doing, you know, maybe just mundane chores like, now I have to go food shopping or I get to go food shopping and I love all the colors. I got to go to the farm today and get all my organic food. Oh, it's one of my favorite things to do is to go and see all the beautiful colors and how they are so beautifully arranged. That's Snipes Farm, by the way. They are working on some amazing projects that we'll be able to see. Um, I know that they have a walk where they are really creating a sanctuary for birds so that you can, you know, take that stroll and mindfully hear the bird song as you're walking the path. So, you know, all of these wonderful things, these can be playful moments too. And play... It gets a bad rap, I think. It's, you know, it doesn't have to. No, play should be as valued, or at least I'm trying, I shouldn't say should be. Play can be as a value, as valuable a part of our day as work or... As if it, they're separate. As if, as, if, as if we have to parse out the playfulness from other things in order for that to be pure in some way that playfulness can just be one of the, the spices, one of the herbs, one of the, you know, things that we add to create layers of flavor in what we do. And I didn't mean to say play gets a bad rap, but I think that when people think of play, it's a more superficial, it's less serious, it's, you know, all of those, whatever our baggage is with the word play. And it could be just positive too, but like I said, sometimes that playfulness can inform a serious moment in a way that just gives it some levity. And play has 
I'm not going to say that I have any scientific benefits, but I'm going to say anecdotal and evidence of the benefits of play. And that is one of the stories. I went and picked up this beautiful desk that I'm sitting at right now doing this podcast. It is an amazing writing desk. Just beautiful. Solid wood. Looks like a roll top without the roll on it. I absolutely adore it. But the gentleman who I was purchasing it from, as he was loading it, he was telling me his story. Like I said, everybody had a story. And one of the things that he said, he and his wife have recently purchased a home with their daughter and her children. And so his grandchildren live in the same home as he is. And I was like, oh, that is such a gift. And he said, it is. Playing, having my grandchildren around keeps me young and moving and active. We get to play all the time together now that I get to see them every day. So even the way that we speak about being youthful or being around our younger members of our family or friends is that, well, it keeps me young to be around them. And I noticed that with my own grandkids. They take me outside and say, hey, Nana, can we go to the park? Can we go on the swings? Can you take me for a walk on the towpath so we can look at the birds and, you know, feed the, feed the uh, what do they call the geese? Right? <laughs> the Canadian geese. Yeah, the Canadian geese. They're themselves at home. <laughs> they have made themselves at home. <laughs> so, you know, all of the different things that they want to do takes me outside with them. But playing the way they play, I'm not picking the games. They're picking the games. And oof, sometimes I'll tell you, I'm staying young, but it can be exhausting. <laughs> running around after a while, but I love every moment of it. I know when my mom had the opportunity to move into a more assisted living place. She, we, she never left the house that I was born and raised in. My dad passed away a few years before she did, but she said she didn't want to move because she liked being in a neighborhood. Let's go back to the neighborhood for a moment where there were people of all ages, that there were kids running around, but there were also young parents doing their thing, that there were, you know, working people, that there were retirees, that there was the whole sort of gamut of ages that she felt gave her a sense of wholeness and, and youthfulness as well. I mean, she just didn't want to be somewhere where everyone was where she was. Uh, but while you were talking, I went on to my smartphone because my phone is smarter than I am. I think we all have a sense of that. And within seconds came up with a short list of the benefits of play. And the benefit play helps relieve stress. It improves brain function, stimulates the mind and boosts creativity. It improves relationships and your connection to others. It keeps you feeling young and energetic. Play helps develop and improve social skills. Play teaches cooperation with others, and it can help heal emotional wounds. And this is all from something, the benefits of play for adults at helpguide.org. <clears throat> so if you're interested in seeing that, I will put that in the show notes as well. And that can be a thing. But so there are lists out there of the benefits of play. Go Google them. Yeah. So anecdotally and scientifically, we have some, some benefits. I always like to hear back. So as we're talking, what are your benefits? What do you, how do you feel, all you beautiful listeners out there? How do you feel? Or I shouldn't even call you beautiful listeners, although you are beautiful listeners. I should call you neighborhood friends since this is a neighborhood that we're building and creating when you're playing 
what are the feelings that you have? Like, how do you feel during play or after play? Or maybe you're a little bit more serious like I am and you're sitting here going, you know what, I have to play a little bit more <laughs> than I already do. And so how can, you know, what ideas are you coming up with to add a level of playfulness to uh, your day? And, you know, maybe it's bringing you to the same place it brought me. I, I come from a big family. I have seven brothers and sisters. So, you know, my mom would always say, go outside and play <laughs> because there were so many of us who lived in the house that the great outdoors was a good place to go. And we lived in a cul-de-sac. So while we were out there, we played kickball. We played dodgeball. When in the winter, when the snow plows came, I don't know if it snowed a whole lot more when I was a child or I was just small, so it looked like a lot more. <laughs> but the snow plow would come in and it would plow the cul-de-sac so that in front of each house, there were these huge piles of snow and we would build forts in them and we could have snowball fights across the cul-de-sac. That was our winter cul-de-sac play game. In the summer, we had a pool. And at the beginning of the season, the water was so cold, but we just couldn't wait to go in it. We had to get in that pool. So we would go into the pool, but if we got too cold, we would come out of the pool and we would run around the cul-de-sac five or six times because as you did, you would get cool being outside so that when you jumped back in the water, it felt like you were jumping into a bathtub. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so fun. That's so fun. Oh, my gosh. How does play show up for you as you get older? You know, what are the things that feel like play? Some people play golf. Some people play tennis. Some people play the piano or other instruments. And I know as a parent, trying to get my kids to practice the piano was not a playful experience, is not playful. There's no sense of joy in making someone do something that you think might be fun for them. So I've had two of my kids sort of drop out of piano. They enjoyed it for a time. They were good at it. And I have one child who's still playing and over, got over the hump of having to practice. And now we'll practice on her own, which is really exciting. And she's gotten really good. The things like you've always said, Teresa, that we put our attention to, that we practice, we get better at. And sometimes I think when there's a lack of playfulness, when there's the feeling of having to practice, even if we try to play the game of saying, I get to practice, that getting over that hurdle, sometimes when we become better at something, it becomes more fun because we can see the trajectory of progress. But in the beginning, practicing is awkward. It's thumpy. It doesn't sound good. It doesn't necessarily feel good. And if you're not a protege or you're not someone who's a natural, as they say, but you really have to work hard at it, then it may take more perseverance than play to get to the point where play can show up. And that's what I've seen in, in my kid who is still playing is that it used to be like, no, she would just never practice. And now there's a sense of playfulness when she gets to the piano because she's, she's good. Like there's something that she can connect with. I think that may be a better word than good. It's to connect with the music, connect with the sport, connect with the activity, whatever it is. And if you can connect, then there is a better sense that you can have a playful, I shouldn't say you, that playfulness is, is available. Yeah, when my sons were younger, they liked to try a lot of things. They tried a lot of different sports. 
And we had one rule. If you joined a team, you had to stay till the end of that season. You did not have to come back the next season if you decided you didn't like it. But because you made a commitment to a team, showing up was something that we agreed upon as being non-negotiable. And, and, but my sons would go and they would be on the team and really didn't enjoy participating in sports. And one of my friends once asked me, how come you keep letting your kids quit all of these things? And I was like, I'm not letting my sons quit. I'm letting them try different things to find out what it is they like and love to do. As it turned out, what they liked and loved to do was music. That was a whole lot more important to them. So still playing, playing in a different way, maybe more unstructured versus team-type sports were things that they really loved to do. They loved to go to parks and play on the monkey bars. And they did a lot of play, but sports wasn't their highest fun thing to do. But once it got reframed to, I'm not letting them quit all of these things. I allow them to try as many different experiences. It gave them the freedom to find the things that they did love that felt playful, but still honor their commitment to a team once they chose that that was something that they were going to do. We had the same rule here. There's no quitting in the middle, but you don't have to re-up it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. you become accountable to people. You're a part of a team. You're a member of a neighborhood. You are a part of a collective that there becomes a certain responsibility. And again, the responsibility is one of those words that also cannot get a bad rap. But there's something beautiful about being responsible to other people. That brings in service. And how can we make being of service enjoyable, have a sense of fun with it, even when it's really serious shit? There's a lot of shit going on in this world right now that requires attention, that requires service. And if we let the energy of the heaviness, that heavy energy really take us down with gravity, then nothing gets done. Like we need to have that sense of connection. And again, I think connection is the key. Yeah, I was walking uh, Siva the other day. We were outside going for a stroll. So Siva, some people say Seva, but... For me, when I named her, I just Siva kind of stuck. And I passed another dog walker and he said, we stopped. You know, it's interesting when you're out in the neighborhood walking dogs, you leave knowing the names of most of the dogs, but not the people. <laughs> like the first question people ask is, oh, what's your dog's name? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'm so I'm trying to remember. I should, you know, memorize the people's names as well, but all the dogs you know, dogs have this playful friendliness. If there's another dog, all they want to do is go up and sniff whatever part their nose happens to be <laughs> on. But, you know, that's how they know each other. But anyway, that, so this young man asked me what her name is. And I said, Siva. I said, and some people pronounce it Seva. And he said, I have never heard that word before. And I was like, oh, it means service for the pure joy of serving. I said, isn't that the definition of dog? You know, like... They have unconditional love. And he goes, could you say that again? And it's like service for the pure joy of serving. And he said, what language is it? I said, it's Sanskrit. And he looked at Siva and he goes, you know what? Thank you for the lesson. I love you already. And I was like, oh, what a kind response that was from him to say, I learned something today. And now, you know, service is important. Thank you. It wasn't random that we met today. 
So whatever that is, we never really know who we're talking to or what they're taking away from just this brief interaction. Neighborhood. Neighborhood. Neighborhood, man. You know, you'd mentioned something before and I'd forgotten. I had a response and I was like, ah, but then you mentioned again now that I'm service for the pure joy of being in service. And in Buddhism, there's something called the four immeasurables. And I'm not going to go into a whole lesson on that, but one of them is joyful effort. And that's the third one, I believe. And so when my teacher first taught me these, these four immeasurables, and it simply means that there's no end point. There's the possibility is infinite for compassion and, and love and all of that, uh, but joyful effort. And so I started with doing the dishes because that's something I don't mind doing. I don't particularly like it. And, uh, but I started with warm, soapy water. Like who doesn't like putting their hands under warm, soapy water, you know, and then having also the mindfulness to turn the water off in between things so that there's that con conservation piece, a mindfulness piece. But there was also this joyful effort of having to do the mundane every day ridiculous shit we have to do in order to keep our our places neat and clean to keep our bodies you know in up to up, I was gonna say up to date <laughs> up to par you know or just whatever it is that we have to do to maintain things or to help them get better and so doing the dishes has become my my metaphor for joyful effort. And so if I can do it sweeping the floors, I've got four animals. There's always hair everywhere, two cats and two dogs. Two of the cats are, one of the cats and one of the dogs are short hair. One of the cats and one of the dogs are long hair. And there's little tiny hairs and long hairs everywhere. So even just deciding to do that, how can I make it like Mary Poppins? You know, she had it, she got it. You know, just a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. And so we get to dance while we clean up the playroom or we get to sing while we're, you know, figuring out what to do with whatever. So, you know, maybe just sing and dance while you're doing the shit you have to do, even if you're not saying you get to do it, like, oh, I get to clean my house. You know, that just feels like a serenity now moment. Like, it's not real for me that I get to do that unless I think about it like, oh, my God, how grateful am I that I have a house? How grateful. So gratitude comes in to this feeling of play. When all of the mundane things, I get to get up this morning and put my feet on the ground. I have two feet that work that I get to put on the ground. So never losing a sense of gratitude for the things in the world that may feel like ugh, just exhausting to have to do every day. But if there's gratitude, you also get to do it. Whew. There was a lot right there. Uh <laughs> I just did a face that my mom would do. <laughs> She would also give me a little give me a little finger. <laughs> give me the finger. The finger, no wagging. That that wagging of the index bit. Sometimes I forget <laughs> that people can't see us, and they, you know we need to. Have to <laughs> yeah. that your mom wasn't giving you the finger. <laughs> I think she's laughing though now. Wherever she is, she's like, my dad are having a playful moment. Oh, but what I was thinking when you were talking about you know transforming these chores or. Just the ordinary things that we do every day is I started a practice of playing music. And the music is sometimes different depending on my mood or which one of those different types of chores, whether I'm doing laundry or dishes or, you know, cleaning. I don't play music when I'm vacuuming because there's a big comp <laughs> competing of sounds. <laughs> uh, but it's, 
it is, it's different. There's, you know, a little bit more energy in the cleaning. There's a little bit of dancing between dusting and, <laughs> and dishes, whatever that might be. It all just music makes a world of difference. I remember. So one of the things that's interesting when you talk about chores in massage school, one of my lessons early on was how do you fold sheets? Because we use a lot of sheets and you have to transport them and pack them and you want them to look neat and clean and you don't want them looking all wrinkly. You know, nobody wants to get on a massage table with wrinkly sheets that look all disheveled. It's just not the way the world works, man. So <laughs> I have a lesson on how to fold sheets and I'm very, very good at it. And one, I would like that lesson, please. Yes, you. I, I'm, I tried Martha Stewart's and I just couldn't get it. I'll be happy to show you how to <laughs> fold sheets. One of my students was was complaining. She's like, oh, my God. All morning, I was at the washer, washing, drying, folding sheets, blah, 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 blah. This long complaint. And I just walked by her. And this was one of the things I did a lot in massage school was I changed language. So... I walked behind her and said, I am so grateful that I have so many sheets to, to fold. It means that my table is always full. And if I'm not folding sheets, I am going out of business. And she was like, what? And I was like, your sheets are a representation of how many people you have helped. And, you know, my clients would sometimes come in and go, oh, gosh, you know, when people have body work, we know that the body holds stories. It tells stories. And sometimes those are releases that happen when somebody is on a massage table, when they're receiving body work, that things come up that are being released. And one of my clients once said to me, I'm sorry for all the stuff I've left here in your room, all of the energy that I let go of in your room. And I said, oh, it doesn't matter at all. You don't have to concern yourself with that in the slightest. She said, well, I don't want to clutter your room with bad energy. And I said, well, that's impossible because my procedures don't allow that to happen. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, as I undress my table, I fold the sheets in on themselves inside out and I gather up all of your energy and then put it in through the laundry so that anything that's left behind is gathered and cleansed so you don't have to take it with you, nor do I. And then when I fold them, I fold them right side out so that when I put them in, put them on the table, they are clean and energy free so that it is a palette that's open for the next person. And that is so cool. <laughs> I'm so cool. I remember I was teaching a yoga class once and I was doing a pose. Was it called Demon Slayer? which I'm a Buffy the Vampire Slayer fanatic. So like this was when I learned this, it was it was called Tibetan heart yoga. I don't really know much about it. We did one class in my final weekend of my 300 hour training. And so we did the sequence, but it was like you make the rock and roll sign with your fingers and you're in warrior two and you're looking through the goalpost of those fingers and you're taking your demons and you are putting them right through the goalpost. And so whenever I would teach it, I would say, make sure that you're not looking at another person. You're not infecting them with your demons. And so I had my own way of kind of mitigating the energy. But then one day, and I feel like it was someone you may know, I don't know, but she was in class or maybe, I don't know, but she said, oh, you know what? At the end of class, she said, when you do that, tell people to take their fingers and shake them down to the ground 
to let Mother Earth purify the energy so that you're not infecting the energy in the room or other people. And so this was a moment where if I had been sort of more ego-driven or had to be the one who knew it all, I wouldn't have been like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But I, one of my favorite things about teaching that gave me the joy was learning from my students, mm -hmm. was having them you know, say, oh, you know what? I've had an, ex and so many of my students were more advanced asana practitioners than I am and may ever be. But we all kind of have something like this neighborhood. We have something to, to share. And so I, now I do that every time. If I have something negative, I shake it down to the ground so that, you know, whatever it is can be purified by the earth. I think about all the shit the earth has purified for us, by the way. You know, all the roads we've paved on her face, all the trash and cigarette butts that we flick on her, like all the, all the you know, smoke and shit we put into the atmosphere. And she, pure, she has let us live on her surface for how long now? Mm-hmm. I was, I don't know where I got this, but when you're talking about the earth and purifying and all of the things that she has allowed us to do, it reminded me, a sentence came up where, Somebody, sorry, I don't know, I don't remember who it is or where I learned, but whoever you are, thank you for sharing this with me. <laughs> was, you know, I said something about, you know, how much the earth served us. You know, it, it provides our food and, you know, you know, our water and, you know, it is in service. And this person, whomever you are, looked at me and said, yes. And it's great when we can flip that and recognize that we are in service of the earth. And it just, it made me, uh, actually just gave me goosebumps to, to say that again, that, you know, to remember that we are in service of the earth. You mentioned earlier, turning the water off when we're not using it. I like to get my things and repurpose them when I'm, you know, creating my apartment so that they don't wind up in the landfill. There's lots of really great things out there that people are sharing at very low investment to repurpose. I, you know, painted my dresser that I found. It is absolutely beautiful. And I got it for free, but I took it home and I cleaned it up and I repainted it and ah, I just love it. So there are just small things that we can do rather than going and buying new. This, instead of sitting in a landfill someplace, now holds my clothes. And I love it so much. Uh, you know, the first people knew that. The first people had connection to the earth. And I say the first people of this, this nation that, you know, and other nations. And I think we've talked about this, and this sort of deviates a bit from the playfulness but this idea of separation and the se our feeling of separateness from the earth and nature is part of, I think, why we suffer from so many of the ills that we suffer from socially, politically, civically, you know, all of those being in service. And so, you know, maybe in the context of what we're talking about today, if we could see our place as servant to the earth, as playful, as something that could be, oh, I wonder what I can find at a secondhand store today, or I wonder what's on, like that wonder and curiosity mixed with joy and play can create possibility for this reduce and reuse and recycle. Oh, like the Grateful Dead has a great line. One man gathers what another man spills. <laughs> so, you know, this idea that, you know, we can be in this communion, this continuation, this comes back to communion that, you know, everything is here sort of for a purpose 
and that we can we can exchange energies with it in a in a lighthearted way that doesn't you know new does not mean play new just means new yes and how much more fun is it to go out with that playful attitude of being in service of yeah you know like picking up a piece of trash and moving it to the garbage right if we notice it maybe you know i i know that when i see things on the ground sometimes i'm like i can't believe that somebody just threw this out there but in the same way that you've talked in the past about driving and not knowing the story of the other driver Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe there's an emergency that this person is trying to get to. There could be a very, really great reason why whatever that driving thing is that's annoying us is happening. That piece of trash on the ground may have been accidental. Maybe somebody doesn't even know that they dropped it. Or perhaps if we did our walk and picked things up along the way, people notice and they're a little bit more mindful about not dropping them. Yeah, I may have mentioned once or twice that I like to go to parks, <laughs> that I like to hike, that I like to be out in nature, that I like to be in a national park. And there is, and, you know, camping, being in a motor home, there, there is a sense and there are signs everywhere that say, leave no trace, carry in, carry out. Don't take things from our national parks that belong there. Don't take our plants. Don't take our rocks. They're there for a reason. Let them stay. Carry in everything you need to be safe. Carry in your water. Carry in your food. You know, bring with you the things that you need to be able to enjoy nature, to be able to enjoy life. And But on your way out, you know, your pack gets lighter and lighter as you hike because what you're carrying in it winds up in your body. Your water bottles get less full. Your packaging has no food in it anymore. So in the neighborhood, leave no trace. Carry in, carry out. With a sense of play. With a sense of play. Because it's fun to be a good Samaritan. <laughs> it's, it it's fun to live in a you know world where we're you know smiling at each other and feeling the joy of service and not the obligation solely. I mean, ob be obligated. We are obligated. Mm -hmm. But to be playful about these situations and, you know, I think that playfulness can grow. What playful practices do we have today? Okay. Do you have something? Do you want to go first? I have simple practices that I want to share. Me too. Go ahead. Oh, good. So my simple practices are, number one, try and walk outside without shoes on somewhere find the grass i know lots of people don't like to walk barefoot and blah 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 but feel the grass beneath your feet you know you don't have to walk in the street you don't have to walk where there's rocks but you know that's interesting but just take your shoes off connect to the earth feel the grass go to the beach walk in the sand whatever it is playfully take a little stroll and mindfully notice what the difference is as you change from one place that you're walking to the next. How does it feel? How does the earth feel beneath your feet? So I have that one. You can do this one with or without your shoes on, but I started doing it the other day and it was a lot of fun. So skip. Just skip to your car. 
skip down the down the block to the neighbor's house, skip into the giant on your way there. Are people going to laugh at you? Probably. Are they going <laughs> to look at you and think you're a little crazy? Probably. But my guess is they're going to walk away with a smile. I'm and smiling too. Yes, <laughs> you will too. So skip, skip, skip. And there's one more, and it was a really interesting one, and I, th I saw it the other day, so it's not mine. There was a grandpa laying on the sidewalk in front of his own house, and he was laying out on the sidewalk, palms to the sky, in a shavasana-type pose. And his six-year-old-ish, I don't know her exact age, but she looked about six, granddaughter was tracing his outline. And the next day when I walked by, the outline was in chalk in front of their house, but it had a smiley face on it. And she, I mean, he had a crew cut. So she had drawn like spiky hair on top of his head. She drew on shorts in a different color because it was at the beach. So he only had shorts on. So she drew the color that his shorts were. So, you know, do whatever fun thing. If you have grandchildren, great. If you have children, great. If you don't, pick an adult partner and get that chalk out and draw hearts, trace each other's outlines, draw flowers on the sidewalk. This, the rain is going to wash it away. So it's a earth-friendly practice. My practices are similar in that they are sort of things you can do within your own day. You know, you don't have to actually be doing something special to do this, but I have done this as in an effort to bring joy into movement. So I spend a lot of time at my desk, at my computer, as many of us do, and I will sometimes set my alarm on my phone for every 15 minutes or every half hour, however long you're going to be there, you know, give yourself at least four or five chances to, to have the alarm go off. And when the alarm goes off, I get up and I just silly dance. I move my body in whatever way I want. If there's, I actually had created a playlist, and you can do this too, where instead of the alarm sometimes, I'll do several just songs that I can work well to, and then I'll put on like Jackson 5 ABC, and then I can't, I can't sit when the Jackson 5 plays. So I get up and I dance, and when the song is over, I sit back down, I do my work. And then either the alarm or the next fun song of like, maybe it's Madonna, maybe it's, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, maybe it's just something that gets me up to dance. And, and I found that to just infuse the moments with pure joy. And like we talked about before, it's not about thinking about it. There's no thinking involved. The song comes on, the alarm goes off, whichever cue that you have decided, and you get up and you just move. Now, what's going to make this more of a practice to bring mindfulness into it is to be knowing that the thing is going to go off. You hear it, you're in the moment, you get up and you do it, and then you feel your feet on the ground. You feel the air around you as you're moving your body. You might feel sweat begin to pour. So there's that water element. You may feel some contraction in the body. You may feel expansion in the body. Contraction for me happens in my abdomen as I'm keeping myself up and I'm drawing my navel in to keep up and move. But the expansion is my heart opens and my arms go wide. So there's both physical and energetic work going on. And it takes us out of our thinking mind for those moments. And then they, I, they you know, the, the infamous they, say that if you have writer's block or if you've been doing something mm -hmm. for a while, getting up and walking is the antidote to that. Not sitting there and trying to think of something. Move your body. You know, just get out of that thinking mind. 
So that is the offering that I have for you today. Well, we have a lot of fun to do this week we be do. before we record our next episode. And we'd love to hear uh, about some of your fun things. If you have some games or, you know, fun little practices, how do you play? Send us a little note at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com and tell us how did you play this week. Or go onto our Facebook page if you don't feel like sending an email. We would love for you to come on to our Facebook page, which of course is Anecdotal Anatomy, and tell us how you play. We're going to end with our dedication of unity. So let's do it playful. All right. All right. Any playful gesture. So normally I would put my hands over my heart. I've got a big heart necklace on right now. But when I open my arms wide, my heart is open. And so it's a different way in. Ready. And Siva just said, go ahead. All right. May we always see ourselves reflected in others. May we align with the rhythm of the natural world. May we feel the totality of the universe within us. May our interdependence offer us the liberty to live in compassion, generosity, intelligence, and peace. Om Shanti. 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 <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> All right, and there we wrap it up for play today, people. We'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, please click the like and follow buttons and give us a five-star rating wherever you listen. These ratings help our grassroots podcast to become more visible to more people so we can include more stories. Written reviews are like stars on steroids. If you are so moved, please write a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We are just getting started. So if there's something you'd like us to cover, please email us at anecdotalanatomy at gmail.com. Tell us your stories. We'd like to thank our editor, Judith George, Keith Kenny for our music, and Cindy Fatsis for our photos. <laughs>